Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the suitcase and the stride with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here for another edition of the Suitcase and the Scribe. Mike McKenna at home in St. Louis. We I, before we get just like a million things to talk about. I can't wait. Uh, but before we get to that, you're getting yourself packed up. I'm I'm so pleased for you. Uh, you're going to join the TNT crew in Los Angeles for Edmonton, LA. Good for you. I'm I'm I'm, I'm just. Will you will you get to mention me on the national broadcast? I'm just asking. <laughs> well, do something notable, Scott. No, we'll see. Uh, you know, it's it's a big surprise. Yeah, I'll be doing ice level analysis for. I believe we'll be on TBS on Friday, but within the TNT crew, um, covering the LA Kings and Edmonton Oilers game and. I am very excited, Scott. You know, I haven't yeah. done anything on TV in, you know, a little bit less than a year now at this point. And, you know, it's really what I'm passionate about. I, I love the aspect of going on live television. Um, and in this scenario, I get to do something I've never done before, which is ice level, yeah. third person analysis with, you know, we'll have the booth set up with traditional play-by-play, Randy Hahn from San Jose Sharks, along with Brett Hedekin, their usual color commentator. And yeah. They'll be able to kick it down to me ice level. And uh, what better way to start your national television career, even if it's just one game, than playoffs? So why not, man? <laughs> and so I'm, again, not to go too far down the rabbit hole here, um, but when you're ice level and you haven't done it, but like, do you have, like, my sense of it is I, I really love the ice level. Like, I love Ray Ferraro ice level mm-hmm. and, um, but I think it, it's a, my sense is you, it's not, you know, it's going to be different than being on the panel, which is, you know, like it's a different environment, obviously. Very different. And I think what makes me feel confident in this is that I've, I have done at least a decent amount of color commentary, yeah. you know, not, not dozens of games, not seasons worth, but um, yeah, I, I've done enough of it where I feel comfortable with that aspect, but it kind of bridges the gap to what, I realistically did a lot of in my NHL career, which was sit on the bench. And so I'm very used to seeing the game from this perspective and knowing what to look for from a sensory perspective. You know what I mean? Like 
coaches doing things, players talking to one another, the referees lines, but like I've processed, processed that an awful lot in my life. And so listen, we don't need to blow this out of proportion. It, it is just one game, you know, but it kind of feels like that Eminem moment of like mom spaghetti, you know, like a song that was so big where you got to lose yourself. You only get one chance to blow. Like, I don't know, man. I'm just going to go have some fun. And um, I'm just really thankful. Like you kind of look at these chances and think, man, not everybody gets these. And ultimately somebody has got to believe in you for that to happen. So I'm, I'm excited, man. It's 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 fun. It's fun. I, and I won't bore you with my Brett Hedekin story, although I did spend Brett Hedekin's day with the cup after 06 with Brett Hedekin and his family, of course, married to figure skater, skater Christian Yamaguchi. Uh, the cup showed up at his house outside of St. Paul, Minnesota. The case wouldn't fit on the plane. They had a charter. And so the it was like wrapped in a blanket and and buckled into the passenger seat when it rolled into Brett Hedekin's driveway. Unbelievable. And honestly, and I, Brett is, he's such a great guy wept nonstop during the entire day. It was beautiful. It was, it was such a beautiful thing. So you can mention yeah. that, but it's a good segue because we talk about Stanley cup and we talk about opportunities uh, like uh, that uh, Pittsburgh, New York Ranger game that ended about five minutes ago, <laughs> <laughs> triple overtime. You talk about, you know, opportunities, you talk about, you know, you never know when you're going to get your shot. I loved Louis Domingue's post-game press conference where he <laughs> described sitting. What do, can he even sit on the bench at MSG? You were not where, on the bench there. Yeah, you're in the so corner. The, the referees came to get him, and he knew them because they were French-Canadian guys. Uh, and he, <laughs> he said, well, you got to come in. Because, of course, Casey DeSmith left the game in the middle of the second overtime with a lower body injury. Uh, and and Louis Domingue said, well, I thought they were kidding. I, that was a joke. But, yeah. no, he went in and stopped 17 straight shots. Evgeny Malkin tips home, uh, I believe it was a John Marino shot, uh, in triple overtime. But that game, off the charts, I'm just looking at my little notes here, 79 stops, 83 shots on Igor Shesterkin. What? Like I, I was thinking about you when they made the goal. It must have been, you know, terrific for you to watch because you get the dynamic of what was going on there. Well, and on top of that, being a former goalie partner of mine in Louis Domingue. And, yeah. you know, immediately I'm sending out the text to everybody. King Domingue's in, you know, like we <laughs> jokingly call him King and King Louis, you know, and so – Kings in and it was just, I mean, when it happened, Scott, I, I looked at it and thought, you know what, this is not that weird, really. Like when you think about getting to a second overtime, I've played those games before where in me, it was always, you're wondering about cramping and other things, but that whole muscle fatigue leads to injuries, yeah. you know, not necessarily thinking about hydration cramping, just your body will, isn't used to playing that long. And Here's your chance, Louis Domingue. You're coming in. And I've come into the building before after the first period in MSG. I played two periods for the Columbus Blue Jackets against the Rangers. And it's it's kind of weird because again, you're in the corner. It's a you're not really part of the team. Then all of a sudden, bang, flip the switch. And oh yeah, it's the first game of the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. Louis, here you go. But what was good, Scott? He got a couple muffins to start the game couple shots right to the chest and then he had a couple of sequences where 
the opportunities the Rangers had were good, but not great. Yeah. And those are confidence builders. Yeah. And you make those three, four saves and you just feel like you're in the game. Boom. Let's do this. And, you know, Louis is one of the most nonchalant people I've met. Like I'm, I'm not surprised even with his post-game interview as irreverent as he can be sometimes saying that he, you know, had a little bit of spicy pork between the first and second, not too good, but um, it was, it was a cool (laughs) moment. And, and what a game, man. Like I thought from the start of it, Rangers get up to nothing. And yeah, especially like Pittsburgh. Like, and this is a this is a theme across the entire NHL, but like everybody's ending up in the box to start these games. And you can't do that against the Rangers with their power play, because look what happens. They get one opportunity on the power play and it's in your net. Yep. So they score, cop scores, who is back and looks phenomenal for New York. But I'll tell you what, man. The Sidney Crosby effect. And Scotty, you've been riding this train hard all year, how good Crosby's been. And and I've probably been in the caboose a little bit on it. <laughs> he was dynamic and he took over that game. And Shishjurkin had to be really good. Yeah. Like this was a hell of a hockey game. My daughters are six and nine, and they 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 both one plays hockey, the other's going to. They like hockey, but they typically don't watch it. Yeah. They were watching this game and they're going, this is amazing. <laughs> this is fun to watch. And, and that was really in the second period where these teams started going back and forth with the goals. So yeah. what are your impressions of this? Where do you think it goes in game two? Well, and, and it was, I, I thought it was interesting because you pull back the lens just a little bit and, um, you know, both um, Washington scored first against Florida and then got behind. And as you point out, the Rangers scored a couple fairly early. And, you know, I just, I think we talked a lot about that, you know, Washington, you know, they're the second wildcard team. Pittsburgh, you know, sort of limped in as the third place team in the Metro. And, and would both those sort of dynastic, not they're not dynastic, that's the wrong word, but, but those, you know, those are iconic teams, right? Yeah. Go back to the 0405 lockout, Crosby, Ovechkin. Yeah. Was it going to be another early exit for both those teams because neither of them have had much success since Penguins Cup win in 17 and the Caps winning the year after. Um, And to see both those teams come back on the road in hard buildings against heavy favorites after being behind, man, that was, um, that was, it was dynamic, but that Ranger Penguin game and, and, and for a long stretches of it, you can see from the shot totals, like Penguins had the puck, all the time. And Jake yeah. Gensel, we had a couple. and uh, I, But it was so much fun to watch, uh, Mike, and just yep. so dynamic. And then once you get into overtime, and it's just and, – and because there's no TV timeouts, like that's the thing I love about overtime. Like it just keeps – it's going and going and going. Yep. They take a break at the 10-minute mark to, to dry scrape some of the snow. But there's no – you don't get that television timeout to – uh, you know, decompress or whatever for three minutes or whatever. Like how different you, I mean, you play. So how different is it to be in an environment where you don't get those natural breaks that sometimes allow, you know, coaches to, you know, use the top guys a little bit more because you know they've had the rest like without a TV timeout. What's that like? It's a lot of green flag hockey. It's one of my favorite terms, right? Where the, it's just green. There's no whistles. There's no red flag. There's no stoppages essentially. Um, I've played several multi-overtime games and they do have a different dynamic in two separate ways that first 
it goes really fast. The periods do. And just for the reasons you said, like you don't have those minute and a half interludes three times in a period. And those make a difference. That's your chance to go to the bench, to grab a drink, to talk to your teammates. Instead, man, it's pretty much kind of, you get out there and you run what you brung, man. It's like, this is your system. This is your team. And you just put the lines out and hope because there's not a lot of in-game coaching that's able to take place because of the speed of it. And the other aspect is once you get past the first overtime, Scott, and into the second overtime, it starts to feel like the game's never going to end. <laughs> there, they It gets to this natural cadence where Every, the goalies are just making all the saves and yeah. the forwards are starting to just throw pucks at the net because they're hoping for a typical gritty, greasy goal that's going to win it. And they forget that they're still amazing hockey players and can snap it around. So yeah. the quality of chances go down. The goaltenders are they're feeling the flow from the whole game. So they're vibing. And yeah, you get to a third overtime. It's kind of like, is this thing ever going to end? <laughs> so I, I always love those moments, Scott. Like I, I've, Overtime games were the best. Win or lose, like, man, they were crushing in defeat. But, yeah, man, it was an awesome feeling to be part of those. And and because they feel special. You know, we don't have overtime that goes forever in the regular season. You have to have a winner. And when you're on the proper side of the ledger, especially to close out a series. I, I cl- got to close out a series with the Syracuse Crunch where we scored an overtime to finish it. You know, walk off home run. Yeah. That's the best feeling in the in the world, short of winning a championship. But like Scott, I'm and and we're gonna, you know, obviously go to the other se- games and yes. series here. Um, but I'm curious what that's like up in the press box, and for people like yourself that have been writing game stories forever. Like, <clears throat> h- how do you keep going for a three OT? How do you write that narrative in real time? Yeah, we. And the problem is, you can't ever truly capture you know, what it means or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're, you know, you're making notes and you're, you know, you know, that save or this play, or they killed a penalty or, you know, whatever the, you know, sort of the moments that you feel are going to be significant. And then they get washed away because something else happens because you're, you know, you still got 40 more minutes of hockey before the actual, you know, before that moment, like, uh, and even working, you know, a little, spent a lot of time working at ESPN, even though there's no true deadline. I mean, but you still have to, you know, it's, you got to have the content out there. So, cause people are interested. Gotta put your in work boots game. on, right? Get you it gotta, done. You got to get, get going. So, and I always find too, that, you know, at the end, I mean, Louis Domingue was terrific, but, awesome. but sometimes people are so gassed. Like everyone's tired, right? The reporters don't want somebody to come out and talk for 20 minutes. You're like, please come out and give me the money quote and get back to your room so I can get to writing. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it is, there's this, I, everyone, I think at the end of it for all, you know, players, winners, losers, and, the, and everyone involved, there's sort of a, you're, you just sort of, you're spent, right? Cause you, yeah. you've invested all this time and emotion. Okay. You want, you know, how's this going to go? And, and then it's done. You're like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to do this justice. At least that was me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know what though, by that point, everybody that's watched that game has been so invested in it that they're just looking for something of a recap as well. You know, yeah, you don't, like, what did I miss or whatever? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I love the big OT games. It's hard to keep track of everything when you've got four games in a night. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, the two games that I didn't follow as closely last night ended exactly how I expected them to to, to happen. 
I mean, the Avalanche crushed the Predators seven to two. The Flames won one nothing over the Dallas Stars. And, and I'll give you my impressions before I flip it to you. But I'm watching Pittsburgh and Rangers. I've got Capitals Panthers on my iPad. Both those games going, and I see on the TV screen it flashes up. Oh, about seven minutes into the first period in the Avalanche Preds game, and it's three nothing. And I went, oh. And then about a minute later, it's 4 nothing. I went, oh. And then I saw the, the gif on Twitter of David Riddick doing the flying sweep check out to the blue line to strip the puck of, I believe, Nathan McKinnon. And it was already 4 nothing at that point. And I went, man, the wheels are off for the Nashville Predators. Yeah. And it's the same thing. They were shorthanded. Predators were shorthanded in the first, I don't know, three minutes of the game, and you're down. Like, yeah, you just these teams are getting so amped up. Minnesota did the same thing against the Blues. Like you just you cannot sit in the box, and everybody's doing it. And you know, it, Flames and Flames and Stars. Okay, I expected that'd be a close game. Yeah. I didn't think it'd be one nothing. I thought you'd see a three two game, but that's yeah. exactly what I expected out of that game. Yeah. So I just, Scotty, this is going to be a problem for teams if they can't stay out of the box because Minnesota, St. Louis, the other night. Both teams were guilty of taking stupid penalties and yeah. unnecessary penalties, retaliatory ones. But Minnesota's penalty kill kind of sucks. And the does. Blues power play kind of rules, dude. It, you know what I mean? It like, does. it's really good. And guess what? David Perron pops two, basically three on the power play, scored his third one about two seconds after Kevin Fiala had gotten out of the box. And Scott, you've dug in on this when it comes to the referees and the standard that the NHL expects. Are the players going to figure it out? I I don't know. It's such a great point, too, because and and I, I, you know, I was a little disappointed. We'll sort of circle back. I I wonder what your impressions were on the Ryan Lindgren hit on Ricard Raquel, Mm -hmm. which was initially called the major, which I was totally fine with. Downgraded it to a minor. Raquel leaves the game. I I didn't like it. Uh, But anyway. It was a huge hit. Yeah, it was a huge hit. Pretty high for me. Pretty good separation from the puck, but yeah, um, I agree with you. I thought it was really borderline. I wouldn't call that one a clear as day. No five, but I think you generally should err on the side of more than less there. But yeah, especially the guy was hurt. But yeah, here's at least at at least the process allows for them to the officials to regroup and and not make a mistake. I mean, you go back to what happened with Joe Pavelski. Um, in the series against Vegas four years ago or whenever it was, which really sparked this rule. You want to make, if you're going to, if you're going to toss a guy, you're going to give him a major, you're talking about a five minute power play in the playoffs, especially let's make it right. So uh, at least they looked at it. Uh, But to your point on the penalties, I, I uh, like, I love it. Who, you know, uh, I hope it's to me, it's about the consistency, right? We're, we're one game in. So everyone's played one game. You know, it are we having this conversation next week when we're in game six and seven? Are they still calling the same standard at the same level at the same time of the game? History suggests, at least the eye test, that it doesn't always happen that way. I I, I totally I I hope it happens. I don't even I do care. Too. I don't care if it's a penalty in overtime. I call it, call the, yeah. call the fouls. And, and I'm with you. And if your teams can't learn, it's going to, it's going to cost them. It costs Nashville. Um, that Dallas uh, game, the only goal scorer was a power play goal. I think it was five. Yep. Five minutes and one second. Right off the, the bat. 
Yep. Here's the other thing. Dallas over five on the power play. Oh my gosh. What a, yeah. you know, Ottinger's really, really good. You've got five power plays. You can't score. Then that's, you blo- that's a wasted opportunity in Calgary for the yep. Dallas stars. So that's Big my time. take. Yeah. They had it on their plate for him. Uh, and just, Typical of what we've seen of Dallas. Like they yeah. just cannot score. And, you know, you do feel bad that with the cap, they haven't been able to really bring in those four and $5 million players that would make a big difference. I think they've kind of gotten top heavy, obviously with Sagan and Ben's contract, but the players that they really needed, like Radulov, that's who they really needed to have a normal year for him. And he's been, you know, frankly gone this year, you know, yeah. and it's Dallas had 16 shots on goal and yeah. no, I'm you're just, at, yeah, well, it's not yeah. happening. John, so, Klingberg, John Klingberg gets tossed on <laughs> the Swede on Swede fight. Defenseman at, on defenseman, for, even. <laughs> I know. I don't even know how they Rasmus got close to fight, but Rasmus Anderson, and it's and it's crazy because it's hap- it happens at the same time. There's another fight, and that's the rule, right? Like if you so yeah. that it prevents the line brawl, and so if you engage in a second fight. Out you go. I, in fact, I covered one of the most famous second fight ejections in the playoffs, at, at least in my mind. And Kim O'Timanen and Chris Letang got tossed in the game because Sidney Crosby and Claude Giroux were already fighting. Amazing. And they t- and it was fairly, you know, it was that I think it was again <laughs> late in the first period. And, and you and there goes Kim O'Timanen and Chris Letang. Like I don't know. Like, but love both isn't this guys. what play? This is what playoffs does. Like, yeah. <laughs> Klingberg and Anderson are the two top leading defensive scorers for both the the Calgary Flames and the Dallas Stars. They're both Swedish. They're both right-handed. They're both homegrown talents. Yes. Like, I mean, the parallels are hysterical, and two guys you would never expect to see fight. Oh my god! Um, you uh, know, okay. at least that was a compelling game, and yeah, that's no. where, I mean, Capitals Panthers. Like, that was a compelling game. Yeah. And Andrew Burnett said afterwards, this is good for us, the head coach of the Florida Panthers. Yeah. And I have the same thought that the Panthers need to face adversity and get through it. Yep. And these are the things that you say when you lose the first game. But let's be real here. It's not a good thing they lost the first game. No. It's not. Especially no. against a Washington team that was better down the stretch. Yep. And they got a guy named Tom Wilson and a guy named Alex Ovechkin. And they have game breakers. And you can't give Washington that kind of space. Ovi makes the play on the winning goal, strips strips it of Mackenzie Weger. My oh my poor Weegs. Oh, <laughs> but he's and what a play by Ovechkin because you don't think of him as the guy who's creating the turnover. You think of him who's going to be the beneficiary of a created turnover. But it's Kuznetsov who goes in, scores a beautiful goal. Um, and I, listen, I. You know, since the Caps won the Cup in in eighteen, you know, come playoff time, they have been pretty uninspiring, right? Like that's a you know cost Todd Reardon his job. Um, they have not looked like a team that was able to elevate at the playoffs since two thousand eighteen. That's a long hangover, man. That's a long time to yeah. be hung over from the playoffs. I was so impressed with them last night, and they did get. You know, it wasn't just like Vitek Vanacek you know, stole the show and they hung on for, for a four, two win. It, there was lots of flow to that game. Um, I thought Nick Backstrom was really good last night. Um, yeah. I thought that uh, I, you know, Kuznetsov again, Tom Wilson, I I'm with you. If you're Florida 
and listen, that team's got all kinds of firepower that tons of runway for them. Yeah. But for, to me, it's more important for Washington to say, ah, this is how we do it. This, yes. I remember this, like, you know, we haven't done this since 2018. It flips from being, okay, let's go to Florida and hope we get a split to, wow. Now we have a chance to step on their throat here. Yeah. If Washington takes this home to nothing, I don't feel good about Florida at this stage. It's an unproven team that despite them having a really tough first round matchup last year. Okay. I know a lot's been made of that. That was last year. It was a different coach, different personnel. They Florida's got to win the second game in my eyes to really have a great chance because Washington looks like that team again. Yeah. They did last night at least. And honestly, I th- I've thought that since Anthony Mantha came back in the lineup. Yeah, it's amazing how much of a difference I think one player can make. Like he first off he solidified their middle middle six, which they needed. But the guy can fly. He's a horse out there. Like I mean last night we talk about oh, like Wilson and his hitting and everything. Guess who had 10 hits? Anthony Mantha. Yeah. He's a big body. Dude, you want to win in playoffs against Florida? Like, if you check Florida, look what can happen. Look yep. what can happen when you check the Edmonton Oilers like the LA Kings did, the Philip Deneau effect. So I, I was just looking over my shoulder. I'm pretty sure that's Freddie Anderson down on the ice doing a little work with uh, looks like Paul Schoenfelder, the goalie coach. So there's Freddie there. I didn't want you to think that I was ignoring you, but I am up in – I mean, I'm very used to being ignored in life. No, that is... it was, it's like live things <laughs> happening here during the podcast. So it looks at he's not close. But uh, so you raise the issue of a series that you're going to catch up with later in the week. Uh, OK, uh, who is in the most who's which team is most in need of a game to win? Uh, let's with all due respect to Nashville. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. we, but of teams that maybe you expected to win and move on or have high expectations, but didn't win in the first game, who's, who's under the most gun, do you think, to win game two that lost game one? Oh, I think Edmonton yeah. has serious ramifications if they cannot win game two and not just win it, but play better than L.A. They need to outplay L.A. five on five because that did not happen in game one of that series. Yeah. L.A. crushed them five on five. And Edmonton, of course, their power play is phenomenal. Okay, they got incredible talent on it. And they were able to utilize that. But if you're just going to go five on five against Kings, when Jonathan Quick is really feeling things and has been for a month or so, you're rolling the dice. And I think that if Edmonton goes to LA down two nothing, I do not feel good about that. And I don't have that same feeling. Even with even with Toronto just waxing the lightning yeah. in game one, I still have the belief that the lightning can come back. And that's because there's past history with Toronto and there's past history with the lightning there. Yeah. Like that can happen. Blues wild, whatever in game two. Like the, those teams are going to be close, I think, eventually at some point. And yep. I think Edmonton is going to feel a ton of pressure here, Scott. And they, the thing is, they had the juice to start the game in the first period. Yeah. But then they let L.A. back in it. They got in the penalty box, and they let L.A. back in the game yeah. yet again. Yeah. Yep. Wait, do, you, so, do you feel the I, same way about Edmonton, or do you have another team that you think oh, is no. it? No, totally. Like it's, it, that, it's totally on them. And, I, I, yeah. I, you know, listen, I give Todd McCull- uh, McClellan and the 
Kings all kinds of credit because you're Mike, you're absolutely right. I think, it, I think when they scored after the unfortunate Mike Smith home run attempt that fell short, and that was um, that, not the reason why they lost the game. No, it wasn't I, I that told, one singular play that everybody no, wants to totally, scapegoat him. Totally Terrible lost. play. He owned it, but they lost that game five on five. Right. But I think at the time when they scored that goal, I think they were ahead in shots 13 to two. Like, the, the, yeah. the, and to your point, this wasn't about one play, although that's easy to identify. The, the, the Kings owned that game when it mattered and good on Todd McClellan and good on, um, you know, Philip Denoe. I know you pointed out the, how much you love, you know, the, the their line. And mm-hmm. you know, listen, I honestly, I didn't think the Kings could hang, but the pressure is definitely on Edmonton. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really curious to see this Tampa Toronto series because it got so ugly. There was mm-hmm. a lot of ugliness on both sides. And I'll tell you the, the least flirted with, ultimate disaster with the early um, five minute power play for the lightning. But I am a bit curious. I talked to, um, I talked to a scout who felt, you know, felt that Vasilevsky looked a little weary down the stretch. And I know that Brian Elliott played a little bit more, but like, I think game two looms, even though they're Tampa, even though they would be going home, I don't, I think this is, I think game two is really important for Tampa mm-hmm. to say, well, wait a minute, we are here. And, you know, we're not, I don't not, when I say pushed around, I don't mean the, necessarily the physical part, but we're not going to be dominated by the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'm curious to see how that shakes out in game two, because I think it's pretty important. And again, I think the more confidence the Leafs get, especially, you know, Jack Campbell, if he puts in up another nice performance, obviously shut out in game one. It's, I, that's an important thing. So I'm curious about that. That series could go any direction. It's I think the volatility of it is probably the highest for me. Yes. And I didn't think Vasilevsky was very good. I thought he wasn't patient. I thought he sold out a few times. He made some bad decisions. Even the puck handle chasing one behind the net. He, I mean, a five on three and he's down on his knees with the puck behind the goal line. The shot's not coming from in tight, man. Like, you know, like these are kind of critical areas where he needs to look back at that tape and realize like, you have to know Marner's looking for Matthews to bomb a one-timer. Like, you can't be on your knees for that. So, I wasn't impressed with Vasilevsky, but I think that, that was, those are easy fixes for him to be able to come back and perform. He's done. He has that history, again. But statement game for Mitch Marner. Yep. I mean, toss that 18-game monkey right to the top of the rafters, right? Like, That's right it. off the back. Like, yeah. he was awesome. And they pushed the pace on Tampa who had, I mean, Hedman didn't have a strong game. He was on the ice for three goals against Kalorn's terrible. And that never happens. Like that guy could 200 foot constant. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I still feel good about that series for, for Tampa, but it really made me think that Toronto was in this for real because they looked good. Uh, Campbell did what he needed to. I'm still, we'll see what happens there. I hope that it's, it goes well. Um, But you know, my impressions, and I'm kind of curious with this, like, I thought that Kyle Clifford's hit on Ross Colton was really bad. Yes. And I thought that he was lucky Colton wasn't another three degrees towards the boards and would have really smashed his noggin off of it. And that would have been, you're looking easy two games because Colton's hurt in that scenario. Yeah. At the moment, I thought this is terrible for Toronto. Now they're down five minutes. But looking back on it, 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 and now, if they get scored on, everything I say is completely invalid. Of course, yeah. But looking back on it, 
Clifford just went out and ran Colton and it basically said, we're not getting pushed around to yeah. me. Yeah. And I thought the Leafs backed that up. I thought they played hard and tenacious, which are not words that I've equivocated with that team. And they did it in front of their own net. So maybe Kyle Clifford was the sacrificial lamb here, man, because I thought it put a stake in the ground and then they killed that penalty, Scott. And to me, that meant something. Yeah. Well, and you're right. Could have, you know, if they score two uh, on the major, then the game's different, right? But <laughs> See you're, later. you're right. And, and you don't know until you know, and again, I th- like, I think those things are true. And it's, you know, I was thinking of the early part of the <clears throat> game one here in Carolina and, you know, very physical, very fast, but um, you know, and I think teams, you know, Carolina's not a, they're not a, they're not a big team. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're, you know, Seth Jarvis is a t- tinier guy. Sebastian Ajo, uh, like there, I think teams imagine that you can exert your will. But they work. But yeah, and you can't, but if you give it back, but you have, and there's, there's, a, there's that fine line. And when you do end up in the box, I mean, this is, I, I totally agree with you that teams who've lacked discipline, especially early in games, have lost control of the games, but the Leafs flirted with that and, and came out the other side. And so maybe, you know, again, it's the, Galvanized the razor edge you walk in the playoffs on how you're going to play and, and the domino effect of that. So, yeah, well, I mean, you want to talk about that. Look at, look at the the series you're covering. I mean, you just hit it briefly there. The first period hurricanes Bruins. I mean, that was goalie Nirvana to start the game. Yeah. Allmark was so good. And, and Ranta, I was out of my seat a couple times, you know, yeah. like when, when I watch hockey, my, my family is typically on guard because I tend to make noises and sometimes I jump around and there were several low to high plays in the Carolina defensive zone, bang, bang on and off the tape and Ranta just rock solid in control, middle of the crease. And I'm just, Oh, you know, like what a save I'm yelling. I, I, that's when I turned into a fan, Scott, I'm not analyzing. I'm watching. And oh, I know. Yeah. People forget Antti Ranta has one of the top five save percentages career yep. in NHL history. Yep. Now it's a smaller sample size than a lot of people, and he's been hurt a million times, but the guy can play the game. Like this shouldn't be a surprise at all. Yep. He was awesome. Yeah. Um, now, were you surprised? And I know that you liked Allmark's game, and uh, Bruce Cassidy said yesterday, you know, made it clear that Allmark would get the start tonight in game two. He's, it's interesting. He switched up. Campus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy, they'll, they'll play with um, Grizzlix and Brandon Carlo um, sort of splitting up top four, hoping to do a little better job of creating um, things off the rush transition game. Um, But I, I, and I'm, I see, I'm curious now to see how both Ronta and Allmark, who are both starting their first ever playoff games, uh, so how do you follow that up? You know, for anti Ranta, I mean, some of the knock on anti Ranta is you can't, you know, he doesn't, you know, you can't play him a long time. Like he's not a 65 game guy and we're only talking two games here in the playoffs. So, but I think it's, how do you follow that up if you're anti Ranta and how do you follow it up if you're Allmark? Because you probably know, you know, with uh, Jeremy Swayman in the, you know, in, in waiting in the wings, if you don't win tonight, you're probably going to get yanked. Maybe, maybe yeah. goalies don't think that way, but that would be my guess that, that it was a discussion. They said, no, all Mark goes back in for game two. My guess is you go to Swayman. If, if the Canes are up to nothing, agree, disagree. 
Oh, this was a series that, and a team in Boston that I wouldn't have been surprised if Swayman came out for game two, just because Allmark and Swayman have largely rotated. Yeah. That's, that's their normal there. And it's the same way in Minnesota where Fleury and Talbot have been rotating. That's their normal. I wouldn't have been, wouldn't be surprised to see Talbot come out for game two, even though I think it, I think it's going to be Fleury is what I had had seen yesterday, but I'm, I, I don't think it causes a whole lot of consternation when you're used to that. Now, when you're not, and it feels like your coach has a really itchy trigger finger in playoffs, you know, you got a panicky coach. And I've experienced that before where, yeah. you know, I can remember getting the hook in one series and just yeah. gone, all right, you're going to pin this on me. That's fine, man. But you're making a panic move here. Yeah. And I wondered that, like, I'm always curious about that because I, I did a, uh, a podcast here foreign player Shane Willis was on and I asked him you know as a player do you, do you you know do you care what the coach is doing which you know if he's making the switches and no not you know like I don't know that it's not really their job and uh, so I don't know that it matters as much as the player but as what's like there's got to be a signal because if you are betraying panic, if you're just doing it because, oh, my God, I'm going to switch the goalie, or if there's a – here's the reasoning, I'm going to do it, it's a logical thing. You know, like what's the – what do you think the vibe is when the coach does that, especially in the playoffs? Because it's so different than a regular season rotation. So mm-hmm. When it's shocking, it's it can have two effects. Yeah. You know, the, the the desired effect of coaches is to try to – give their team the paddles. Like, you know what I'm talking about to revive a team? Like they're gone and we got to bring them back. (laughs) And sometimes that is also taken as, okay, our coach is panicking. He doesn't believe in our goalies. He doesn't believe in any of us. What are we doing here? (laughs) I wondered that. It's really bad. I think that's got to be a bad thing, right? I don't think it's great always. <laughs> and I've seen, I've seen panic moves from coaches. I, I remember, I think, I think I buried Jeff Ward pretty hard on this. I want to say when he was the head coach of the Calgary flames. Yeah. And I can't remember this turn of events, but I believe it was Talbot and Riddick and he yanked Talbot for like no reason. That was a pure panic and tossed in Riddick and Riddick came into the game and allowed. Yeah. I think it might I have been against know. Dallas actually it might in, have. The, in the playoffs. Yeah, and Riddick came in and allowed like three on four shots or something. You know, it, it was just a pure panic move by Ward that I thought shouldn't have done that, man. Like everybody read through that. And yeah. So that that's that was one example that I thought wasn't a great time to do it. But I, I think it's pretty rare. Usually it's I've gotten pulled before in playoffs and deserved it for sure. I yeah. I I get it. Um, but I think Cassidy's showing a bit of guts here by going back to Allmark. I, I'm surprised yeah. by it, to be honest with you. Well, and maybe that's the, I mean, maybe that's because, listen, there's not too much to separate Swayman and Allmark, right? Like, it's not like you're talking Vasilevsky with all due respect to Brian Elliott, right? I mean, it, correct. There's, the there's Delta is much smaller there. Yeah. So, but maybe that's a signal to this team. Hey, that 5-1 score, really, it wasn't really a 5-1 game. We're going to be okay. We're going to go, you know, I'm going to make these minor alterations to our defensive alignment. Same goalie, let's go and get it done. I, I think there's something to that. And, um, you know, I think, that's, I think that's, uh, that's part of the fascinating part of a playoff series where you're not just playing a game and then moving on to another team. Now you got to 
okay, we're in this for the long haul. How do we, you know, how do we present for game two and, mm-hmm. and, and take a step forward? So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of that around the league because there's teams that have depth. They're going to draw on it. I mean, Minnesota didn't dress Alex Goligoski in game one against the St. Louis blues. That was a mistake. Yeah. Like 30 points from him this year. He was plus like 40 or something crazy like that. And he wasn't like big and strong enough to go against the St. Louis blues like that. I'm sorry. I absolutely love what, Dean Everson's done with the Minnesota Wild yeah. and Bill Guerin and that whole crew there. But that was a mistake because yeah. the Blues aren't like the Blues play hard. They they chase pucks, they're hounds on it when they want to be a lot of the time. Yep. Like to me, they were kind of kind of Carolina light in that regard. Carolina was more consistent throughout the year on it, but yeah. they're not the big bruising heavy team that St. Louis was when they won the cup three years ago. Exactly. Like they've yep. they've definitely sped up. They have players that play hard, but they're not gonna crush you. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, John Merrill, amazing guy, good NHL hockey player, but there's so much depth in Minnesota. Like, how do you not toss Golagoski in? Like, yeah. that's you got to. So, I, they're not going to be alone. I think that lineup changes, Scott, as you know, and especially that's a writer's dream. That's there's your storylines right there. What else? What else are we going to write about? No, it's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So, a couple of things I want to. Uh, I was hoping we touch on before we wrap this up, but. And I know you're getting ready to pack. I'm wondering if Mrs. McKenna will be making a call when you're away to uh, her or the family's favorite DoorDash restaurant. But as you know, DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. What do you think? It's going to happen. Do you think there'll be a, a DoorDash call when you're away? I'll uh- Dude, I think it's a mortal lock. It'll absolutely <laughs> happen. It'll either be the local Thai place down the road or it's the Chinese restaurant. It's one of the two. It makes them happy when I'm gone. And it'll be a quick layover for me to L.A. I've only been to L.A. once in my life, Scott. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I'll, uh, I'll send you a note. To, wait, how many? You're probably not there long enough to make, take full advantage of the places I might suggest. You, so. <laughs> Unfortunately not. This is what we would do a business trip, but hope, hopefully a little bit more. We'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. So a couple of uh, non-playoff things that came up uh, yesterday. Not really surprised that the Flyers will be moving on from Mike Yo. Big Mike Yo fan like Mike a lot, um, but uh, clearly, my God, there's so much work to do in Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, 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 I know I've known Ryan Ellis a long time too, um, and I thought his comments and what he went through in the, what was the pelvic thing. Hopefully, yeah. he can get back. But you know, do you do you have a do you have a thought? I think a lot of people already draw a line between Rick Tockett and Philadelphia because of the connection there. I don't know. I think Rick talk is going to be able to go wherever he wants to go in terms of opening. Yeah. So I'm not sure there's something, man, there's just, it's not, I just don't see Philly as being really close at all. I don't think they are either. I think it's going to take major work because they want to win now. And I'm not sure that they have the pieces to do that. And I don't think you can trade your way out of it. You're really dependent on your, your prospects to end up fulfilling what you need them to. You know, Nolan Patrick was a really early draft pick of theirs who is now gone. And, and like, yeah. who's filling these gaps? Okay. They've, they've signed some free agents out of college. The bottom line is they're just not there. 
Yeah. I do think a new coaching staff can just breathe some life into it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and I don't like to call for people to be fired because of bad job. I just think that that team needed a new voice period. You know, yeah. they've, they've had the same one there for a long time and it's the same way. I think with, with Winnipeg, you know, they've report came out yesterday that they're the, the current coaches in place. Now, Dave Lowry, assistant yeah. Jamie compound, Charlie Huddy, like they can all reapply. They can, uh, interview for jobs but essentially to me that sounds like we're bringing in a whole new staff and whoever the head guy is going to be can pick who they want so and i think they kind of need that in winnipeg i think there's they're not alone i just think that philly's philly's gonna have a long road here man and i'd sure like to see them be good but boy if those prospects don't pan out that's it's going to continue to be tough claude drew's not even there anymore you know But I'm curious. The whole Winnipeg thing is interesting because I know some people liked them to win the Stanley Cup, right? Back mm. in the day. Oh, that was me. I picked them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not throwing you under the bus on that. But You're free I, to. I don't think they're. I love like I again. I, I love that team, right? I, I thought they were built to be a playoff team for sure. Um, you know, a lot of decisions. You know, there, there are a lot of people. I talked to somebody in Winnipeg this past week who believes that. It's almost he, he believes it's a given that Mark Shifley will be traded. He won't I believe be back so as team. well. Yeah. Um, but in the midst of all this, Kevin Cheveldayoff gets a contract extension as a GM there. And I'm not all that surprised he and Mark Chipman, president and owner, and really tight. And, and that's not the Winnipeg way to, you know, to do, you know, sort of clean house type of thing. But the pressure's on Kevin Cheveldayoff now to yeah. listen, you, okay, vote of confidence. You, you got, you got the job, but he's got to make the right hire. I'm getting to an actual question here. We talk about sometimes it's hard to get players to come to Winnipeg, smaller markets. It's a, it's a, it is what it is, right? It's a small city in, in the prairie. So do you think that's the same? Is it going to be as difficult for Kevin Chevel day off to find a coach knowing there are only 32 of those jobs as it is to get free agents sometimes to come there? Like, is that same dynamic mm-hmm. exists for coaches, do you think? Uh, players, coaches, everybody. I think coaches are more willing than players when you're really holding the hammer to go somewhere because coaching yeah. jobs are in such demand. And truthfully, I think coaches also see the big picture better than the players that, yeah. hey, it's Winnipeg. Like, this isn't a bad city. I'm sorry. Like if you've ever spent time in Winnipeg and actually not just gone from a hotel to the rink and back, Winnipeg's a pretty cool city, man. Like I've, I've had good meals in the dead of winter there. Like I, I think it's a fun place Yeah, and it's a pretty family oriented place. Like I even, I remember talking to Paul Stastny about it and him saying, yeah, we, I liked it here. And that's a good indicator, but that's a wise player later in his career as well, who values things that aren't just, on the ice and coaches you get a chance you'll go okay yeah. you know and a lot of people broadcasters same way you get a chance you'll go because those jobs just don't exist yeah. you know not, not everybody in hockey has flexibility to go do whatever they want so um i think it to me i think winnipeg's an attractive job in the eyes that it's also i, I understand the media is always intense in canada yeah but it's a it's a little less in Winnipeg than it would be in Toronto. Oh, for sure. You know? And, yeah. And I, I like, there's still like, listen, there's a lot of strong personalities there, right? Blake Wheeler's yeah. different cat. Right. And you know, it's so, and if you are moving on from Shafley, 
then what's the return? Mm-hmm. Listen, Con Connor for me is I hate I, I always hated somebody. Well, he's one of the most underrated players in the NHL. That that Kyle Connor is unbelievable. He's one so of the good. fastest guys with the puck, transition kills penalty. That te- there is that team should be back in the playoffs next year. Yeah, like they should, should be. be. And Kevin Chevel day off, and you know he's got the tough decision. But whoever comes there, like to me, whoever comes there has a lot more to work with than whoever shows up and fill it. Right. I mean, I that's- agree with that. Yeah, because yeah. you, you know that if Shifley's gone, they need to be able to get something for him because it's a pretty friendly contract. There's some turn like yep. it, it makes a lot of sense to be able to get a good return on Shifley if you're going to move him. Um, yep. They're going to have to fill in for Andrew Kopp. He was a pretty big piece that I think people yeah, are realizing yeah. a bigger piece of Winnipeg. Um, but he he's kind of a peacock. I don't know if he was getting to fly in Winnipeg and he's flying on New York, in New York right now. Uh, and I didn't even know this until last night's broadcast. And he was a quarterback of his high school football team. So some people just get all the, some people get everything in life, Scott. <laughs> it's good to be Andrew cop, man. Yeah. Wow. But I, I, I agree. I think, I would... how, and look at, you know, the thing that Philly and Winnipeg both have is, they both have starting goaltenders already built in house that can be there for a while. So there's a good starting point for both yep. teams. Something to be optimistic about. Yeah. You can build around Hellebuck and Hart. Yeah. So it, here's the, the the interesting part, and and I have no intel intel on this other than, you know, with Jim Rutherford, uh, and again, I you know Jim Rutherford very frank, right? Head of hockey ops in Vancouver. You know, Bruce Boudreau came in. Before <laughs> Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and Emily Cassengay and uh, Cami Granado, like the whole Rachel like, Dory, the, from yes, Daily Face yeah, Rachel, yeah. like the whole hockey ops department basically got built after Bruce was in, installed as, as head coach, and what he did there was was you know outstanding, exemplary work to get them back in the playoff hunt. And he does have another, you know, the club has an option on him. They want him to come back. But but um, Jim Rutherford was was candid, saying, well, you know, like we're not in a position to offer an extension, which is important for coaches, right? I mean, security, mm-hmm. who doesn't want security? So it will be interesting, and I think it's June 1st, <clears throat> that both the club and, and Bruce have an uh, opportunity, you know, they have the, that's the opt-out. No, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm, I'm going to move on and whatever the deal is, they'll they'll pay him and he moves on and the Canucks moves on, move on. You know, if you're Bruce, do you – do you coach another year? Jim's point was he didn't have a whole year. We'd like to see a more body of work. So I, I total, I get, I, but I also get if Bruce is like, well, maybe I should test the market. Like to me, if I'm Kevin Chevel day off and, and Bruce Boudreau is not, you know, if he's not locked up in Vancouver, I, I think Bruce Boudreau would be a fine coach in Winnipeg. I think he'd be a great fit in that community. Um, you know, maybe uh, Chuck Fletcher makes the same call from Philly. I, I don't know, but it we, will be interesting because Bruce, I think, has once again established himself as an attractive head coaching option if that relationship in Vancouver goes doesn't go forward. I don't know. What do you make of that? We're seeing one hell of a game of chicken taking place. That's what we're seeing. Because yeah. if you're Boudreaux, you already have a team in Vancouver that you know responded to you, yeah, and you have a chance of of being good next year. I think that team could easily contend in playoffs next year. Yeah, for sure. Good goaltending. Yeah, for sure. Demko, top five goalie in the league. But if you're Brudrow, are you going to chase 
Are you chasing money? Are you chasing term? What are you looking for? Because, I mean, he signed that initial contract. And if you're the team, you're looking at it, this is what we agreed to. And, you know, that's not different than even years ago with Adam Oates in St. Louis. He had a contract, had a huge year. All of a sudden he said, I'm not playing unless you pay me more. And he's like, well, okay, you got traded for Craig Janney (laughs) afterwards, which looking back, I think the Blues really should have paid Adam Oates. That would have been a good idea. Um, but this kind of has shades of even Barry Trotz in Washington, where a team stands pat on what they've agreed to with a contract. And I don't think that has a great history in the NHL, yeah. you know, but I think this one's kind of unique because Vancouver's still a questionable team, whereas Washington was coming off a of Stanley Cup. Yeah. So different dynamic. Um, you brought up Rick Tockett earlier, and I, I needed to tag that. I think Tock is going to, you you know, him with the connection to Philly, man, I think that'd be enticing for sure. Yep. Um, but they're, they're having such a little degree of separation, being an alumni, that, that's not always a great thing. You know, so yeah. I, I, I think he'd be hesitant there. I think the key thing for talk, if he's going to come back to coaching, it's got to be term. He's going to want a longer term contract. I know that he has had offers on the table you know, previously since his last job. And yep. um, he's going to get to make the call because he's got a good gig on TV right now. He's yep. awesome on TV with, with Anson Carter and, and Beeson and, and Liam, DeHue, Liam McHugh. They've been phenomenal, phenomenal together. So yeah, we will see talk again. I just yeah. don't know when that's going to be. Well, and yeah. And that's, I think you're, I think it's a great point. You know, your attachment to an organization, I mean, that's, that's part of it, I suppose, you know, but it's also, you know, the finance, it's the term, but to me, if you're, and I, I think Rick Tockett has, you know, he's, he's a good coach and he's yep. going to make whatever team he goes to, he's going to make them better. But if you have an opportunity to go to a team that is more fully formed than one that is two or three or who knows how many years, you know, the flyers are, no matter how good a job Rick Tockett does in Philly, I don't know. Like it's, I would say he's going to have, <coughs> sorry, he's, he will basically, he'll have opportunities, lots of decisions to make. Yeah. I hear John Tortorella's name. I'd love to see Torts in Philly. What, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Philly, Philly to me doesn't, I don't think Philly needs a retread. They've had enough of that. Okay. I'm going to say this as easy as I can now. Yeah. They had three head coaches at one point with, with, yeah, Vigno, yo, Vigno, yo, and Michelle Terrian. And Michelle Terrian. Yeah. And for the moment that crew got hired, I went, this isn't going to work. It didn't work. <laughs> I, I wonder if, and I don't know what the relationship's like there, but I wonder if they look at Chris Knobloch, who's coaching the Hartford Wolfpack, who's done an amazing job. He was an assistant previously in Philadelphia. Yeah. I'm just, this is spaghetti on a wall, but that's the type of mold of a head coach that I think Philly needs. I think they need someone. That's that's young. That's in tune with these prospects. And you know, another name that I keep thinking, and I don't think this year helped because Seattle wasn't very good. But Jay Leach, keep it, yeah. keep his name in your Rolodex of future NHL head coaches. He's an assistant with the Kraken now. He had success in the American League with Providence. He's going to get a job yeah. eventually. I'm sure of that. It's just win. And interest. And the other one, I don't think. I think that's was since you and I talked last week, <clears throat> Jeff Blashill and, mm-hmm. you know, Detroit moving on from him, I, you know, Jeff Blashill's a great, a really good guy. And I think he's a good coach. It was time though in Detroit. <clears throat> I think it is fascinating though, to see which, which direction Steve Eiserman goes. Cause that team's they're close. Mm-hmm. <sighs> How close are they? A lot of really good players there. You know, this is a really fascinating hire. I think because <clears throat> is he looking for the guy, 
that then takes them back to the playoffs. Are they, you know, I still think they're at least a year away, but this is going to be interesting too. So is it a, uh, is it a younger guy? I mean, Ricard Gronberg in Sweden, you know, his mm. name comes up. We bring it up because he's this, you know, talented international coach, but uh, you know, and Steve Eiserman of all the NHL GMs, <clears throat> Steve Eiserman has his own drum. He follows that tune doesn't care what anyone else says or does mm-hmm. or thinks. So I, I think that his hire will be an interesting one because that franchise is now at that, I think pretty pivotal stage of, all right, now, now the corner's here, let's turn it. I think Iserman is one of the more enigmatic GMs out there because he does have his plan and won't deviate from it. It doesn't give a lot of way, a lot of leeway, but think about his one hire that he made in Tampa Bay. Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember if he hired Boucher or not. He may have, but he definitely hired John Cooper. Yep. And Coop was really his one big hire there. And Coop was coming off an American league championship, a USHL championship, an NAHL championship, a championship everywhere for John Cooper. Yep. Um, But that was still a progressive hire. It was a mid season hire. You know, it's an easy one. You're, you're bumping up the guy from the American league, but you got to still believe in them. So yeah. I truly don't know the direction that Iserman's going to take with his coaching hire. I really can't handicap this in any direction yeah. other than I don't think it'll be John Tortorella. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing I can say is that's to me, not the right fit with where that team is. Yeah, that's about the only one I've got. Cause I really don't know. I don't know what Steve's looking for there, but that's a team that's going to have good pieces. They got another, I mean, most siders probably going to win the Calder this year for the best rookie, and they've got another. Have my boat, yeah. Another top end defenseman coming out in yeah. Detroit, who his name is not in front of me, but early draft pick that by all means is supposed to be Victor Hedman 2.0. So there's stuff to be excited about in Detroit, but it's still two, maybe two years away. Yeah. All right, morning skate going on here behind me. <laughs> You've got bags to pack going to LA. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for you. Can't wait to watch. Um, and we'll reconvene next week. See where we're I at. Can't I can't wait. It's, it's so exciting. It's, it's, it's the best time of the year. This yeah. is this is hot stoving it at the bar without the bar. And uh, before yeah. we know it, maybe that will actually be at that bar because it's True. a playoff, Scott. So, all right. Always a pleasure, my friend, on the suitcase and the scribe. Thanks for listening to the suitcase and the scribe, a member of the Nation Network of podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.